Hello and welcome to this PJSM podcast. My name is Brooke Patterson and today I'm with Professor John Leddy and Dr. Margot Patukian. John is a sports medicine physician and a professor at the University of Buffalo, where he is the director of the Concussion Management Clinic. He treats players from the NFL and then NHL. Margot has over 30 years clinical experience as a team physician for various US national teams, and currently she's the chief medical officer for Major League Soccer and serves as as an advisor for the NFL Head, Neck and Spine Committee. So this podcast is a part of a BJSM mini-series on concussion following the release of the new international consensus statement. And if you haven't listened to our first episode with the consensus co-chairs, Catherine Snyder and John Patricios, then I'd encourage you to go back and listen as they give a comprehensive overview of the whole consensus and all the different topics. Today, we'll be taking a deeper dive into helping you as a clinician working with a team or an individual athlete about when it is safe for an athlete to return to exercise, school or sport following a concussion. Welcome to the podcast, John and Margot. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, pleasure to be here. So what we're going to be covering off is two of the major reviews as part of the consensus statement. So um, John was part of the the leadership group that looked at rest and exercise early after sports-related concussion. And then Margot um, was part of the team that was looking at return to learn and return to sport. So it offers a nice continuum from the, the stage of injury and that early phase all the way to to return to sport. So we're going to start with you, John, uh, um, with your review. What questions were you aiming to answer? Um, And is there anything about the whole process and the review that it should be um, good for the listeners to be aware of? So the purpose of our review was to um, look at the evidence out there for any risks or benefits of uh, physical activity, Uh, what we call prescribed aerobic exercise treatment, rest, cognitive activity, and sleep during that first early phase after a sport-related concussion, the first 14 days. Uh, And in the end, uh, our review had 46 papers that met inclusion criteria. Um, the, The other thing about a systematic review is you look at also the quality of the evidence. You know, some papers are opinion papers or uh, sort of um, uh, descriptive papers. Others are based on randomized controlled trials, which is the highest level of ed- evidence. So we looked at those that had uh, a low risk of bias. That was the strongest evidence, let's say. And we had 34 papers there. And um, it, for one of the questions, which was um, uh, physical activity and early exercise treatment, we were actually able to do what's called a meta-analysis which means it's a statistical procedure to combine the data of those studies. And then you can look at a result in a larger sample size by doing that. And when we did that, um, we found that uh, physical activity early on and early prescribed exercise actually improved recovery by a mean of about five days with a range uh, of about three to seven or so. So, um, and we found that rest was not effective for treating sport concussion. Um, we also found that poor sleep was probably not a good thing to have after a concussion. That seems to delay recovery. But an important finding was that if someone has a mild increase in their symptoms uh, during physical activity, exercise, or even cognitive activity, that's not dangerous or harmful. 
Okay, it's okay that they have a mild increase. And we actually just uh, 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 define that in the paper. And um, so the, the, in the end, we, we realized that, uh, you know, strict rest, not doing anything, what we call cocooning, is no longer effective treatment for sport concussion. And you want to get them active early on uh, just by even getting up and walking around, going outside. Um, if you have the ability and you're able to test people, say in a, a professional or a, a college sports situation, you might actually test them to see what their exercise level should be. But uh, absent that, you just want to give them uh, advice to get up and start moving and pay attention to their symptoms. Thank you, John. Brilliant summary. And Margot, with your review, obviously in that early phase is, is about returning to learning or school and work, and then obviously the, the return to sport phase. So tell us a little bit about the questions you were aiming to answer and, yeah, how that fits in with, with John's as well. Yeah, thank you. You know, our main questions were, you know, what does the literature say about return to sport and school after concussion? Uh, and then specifically, what's the duration until clinical recovery, return to learn, and unrestricted return to sport? Uh, what tools are used to establish clinical recovery? And then what modifies, you know, what modifying factors influence uh, clinical recovery, return to learn, and unrestricted return to sport after concussion? Um, we ended up with 277 articles that made the cut. So of our 277 articles, 23% um, were inadmissible. Uh, they just weren't did not meet did not meet the criteria to be admissible, and uh, only 8% uh, were um, high quality. So that's one of the things that's a little bit daunting. Um, but you know, I think in parallel to what John was able to uh, identify in in his review. Uh, our author group really was able to identify that, um, you know, returning to normal activities in school and work um, really is taking a little bit longer uh, than than has been reported in the past. Um, return to learn, you know, ninety over ninety percent return by day, by day ten, um, and definitely without a doubt, um, it's uh, the early onset of the symptom burden and the severity of um, is really helpful in terms of um, predicting our um, individuals that have delayed recovery. But uh, for the most part, it's taking a little bit longer than uh, in the, in the last, in the, in the Berlin document um, for athletes to return. And probably the other thing that we found was just that um if you look at the, if you stratify by age, um, there really doesn't appear to be a significant difference between um, sex as it relates to recovery uh, and even age. So um, whereas, you know, in Berlin, we said that it took longer for um, adolescents and kids to recover. I think what we found in our, our review is that um, really when you look at it, um, the time it takes to be seen by a healthcare provider, uh, continuing to play uh, while concussed, those actually uh, also predict um, delayed recovery. So um, I think it's I think it's really important to sort of point that out. And then also, um, it it's taken about a month, you know, for for most individuals, uh, both kids and adults, to 
to recover from concussion. And I think the other big takeaway I got out of what you were saying was it isn't necessarily the person's age or the the sex or their gender. It's it's about the access to care, and that's probably what you know a lot of contexts see is you know athletes and parents not really knowing who they should go to and when and and what actually can you know like you said it can be treated, but not a lot of people know that it can be treated like any other injuries. Is there anything else in terms of the key clinical recommendations from your reviews that you wanted to? to highlight? You know, people don't have to uh, have a, a specific exercise prescription right away based upon a treadmill test or a bike test or something, uh, unless they have access to that. For the general population, again, we, like Margot said, we want to get them activated earlier on than we used to, but in a controlled way. And you know, again, we use this no more than mild symptom exacerbation. So I'll define that right now. Uh, the way I tell to my patients is uh, gauge how you feel before you start an activity on a zero to 10 scale. Zero is no symptoms. 10 is I feel terrible. And and then when you're doing something, whether that's running or reading or using your computer, as long as your symptoms don't go up by more than two points from that baseline value, so from a four to a six, let's say, and it stays there, you can keep doing that activity as long as you'd like. And in fact, the longer you do it, probably the faster you'll recover. But once those symptoms go up more than the mild uh, degree, which is more than two points, then that's a signal to stop and take a break um, and take a you know a bit of a rest until they they calm down again back to uh, uh, where they started. So in that way, if you control the activity, it helps you recover, and it, you don't push yourself into that extreme symptom exacerbation that we know is not good and could delay recovery. Um, and again, another thing that came out of our um, uh, review, again, with, in, in highlighting the importance of this sort of early advice is that it looks like if you, uh, in that first 48 hours, if you're able to see them, uh, having them reduce their usual screen time use for a couple of days seems to help. Maybe not beyond that time, but it looks like in that early phase, having them rest from the cognitive activity and the visual activity Marco mentioned ocular motor problems. They're very common early on. And so if we advise uh, these athletes to just put the phone away for a while and put the computer away for a while, just for a couple of days in that initial phase, looks like that helps recovery too. Yeah. And, and I think I would add that there's, um, you know, outside of sort of early exercise, I I think there's also a little bit of a separation when you look at the return to sport and return to school strategies, uh, the tables that everyone's pretty familiar with and the stages, you know, the stepwise progression. Um, it's really exercise is kind of part of your treatment, right? So exercise is part of the treatment plan for concussion. Uh, and where we differentiate it from the return to play progression is when they, you know, before they can go back to any kind of activity where there's a risk of, of contact, where they might get hit in the head again, um, that's where they need to be uh, back to their baseline level of symptoms and back to the baseline level of cognitive function and, and neurological function and balance, right? So um, I think that's a little bit of a different, st um, different stance than in the Berlin uh, and the previous uh, progressions where it was sort of, you know, wanting to get back to your being symptom-free before you could progress past stage one. Uh, I think that's 
dramatically different. And I think that's going to be something that really uh, reinforces a lot of what um, Dr. Letty's work has has shown us, which is exercise is helpful as part of the recovery process. The second thing is just, again, you know, reiterating and underscoring the fact that this is a, you know, this takes a, a clinician, right? This takes us, it's clinical judgment. And so it's really important that we're as as clinicians really individualizing our treatment because you know you have to think about the uh, what the patient brings to the table what they bring to their concussion right they had three four or five concussions and the most recent one was a month ago um you know do they have a history of migraine do they have a history of depression right so all those factors are really important as you individualize treatment the the return to exercise do we still have that graded approach of you know a light walk to you know a little bit more of an intense jog or run followed by some resistance training and then obviously all your return to sport and training progressions is that still pretty consistent yeah no I think it's very consistent I think what's changed is uh earlier uh initiation of of light exercise um very early And, and and actually um I think the other thing that I want to make sure we reinforce is this idea, you know, not, not every kid needs accommodations from an academic standpoint and not every kid needs to be pulled out of school, you know, for a prolonged period of time. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, it's individualized, right? So that's part of it, but yeah, the gradual stepwise progression is still endorsed. I think what we'll see is sort of a, a little bit of fine tuning as I, as I tried to explain, as it relates to ramping up from light exercise to moderate exercise. uh, And then, really making sure that the athletes back to their baseline level of, of, of symptoms, cognitive function, neurologic function, before you reintroduce the, uh, any kind of contact, right? So if they might be even getting into some sports specific activities where they're changing direction and they're, you know, for their sport, they're, they may be changing, um, they may be going to the ground, they may be changing, you know, and, and that perturbation um, of the vestibular system is actually is is good, right? It's meaningful and it's helpful as long as as long as it doesn't put them at risk for getting hit getting hit in the head again and sustaining trauma. So that's again where we're differentiating. I think um, exercise early and then um, before uh, before they're allowed into any kind of contact activity and um, making sure that they're cleared by the medical personnel at that point in time. That makes total sense. And I guess if you think of a long-term musculoskeletal injury like an ACL, people are going back to, to running and doing those sports-specific things and they still have, you know, hamstring deficit. So, you know, if it's an analogy to use, I guess, with patients to kind of be like, this is a, it's a normal impairment as part of an injury that we need to kind of just continue to work. I think, yeah, there's a really good summary of kind of some things clinicians can consider getting them active early. I'm assuming there's lots of barriers to that for clinicians and they're dealing with anxious players and parents. So any advice for for clinicians about how they can, I guess, approach these conversations like, yes, you can go to school, um, you know, yes, you can get moving. Yeah, I mean, I think the the message that I try to give to patients is that, you know, exercise is beneficial. We know that for, you know, we know that for a lot of other conditions, right? Exercise is, is medicine. So you know, and I just cite John's work, right? All the work that he's done in this in this area. Uh, we know that you know if if you if you put somebody in a you know an environment where they're not exercising, 
you're then pretty quickly dealing with um, a lot of depressed kids, right? And you're dealing with people that have relied on exercise as a release and what makes them feel good and you've taken it away. So uh, for me, it's just a matter of saying, listen, we know that exercise is good. So it's okay if you go for a brisk walk. And um, again, to underscore what John mentioned all, or earlier, it's okay if you, you know, if you, if you, when you go out on that brisk walk, if you develop a little bit of a headache, it's okay as long as it's not really um, problematic, right? So I think it's just trying to encourage them and support them um, and give them good information. And I'll say the same thing as Margo's saying about uh, going back to school or doing homework. We talk about taking scheduled breaks right away and getting their homework done in chunks rather than powering through it and using the two point. Uh, rule for you know stopping and taking a break, and like uh, our friend Chris Giza says, uh, doing homework never caused brain damage. So, <laughs> you know, um, kids. Sometimes I still get kids referred to me, and they've been out of school for two or three weeks. And the first thing I do is get them back into school the next day, uh, even if it's a half day or a quarter day. I get them back into school. They have to be in school, um, and there's no no reason almost I can think of that someone should be out of school for weeks after a concussion. Um, a couple of days, sure, maybe three or four, uh, but pretty soon uh, we want to get them back in with accommodations if needed, um, but they really need to be in school, and that's part of the art of this is, is helping them do that in a controlled way um, so that they can manage their symptoms. That's really what it's all about. So you mentioned the no more than two point increase, and so what's the acceptable level of symptoms to re to return to school? Do you go by? Well, again, from my standpoint, it's it's when um, they can, uh, you know, they they're not having really severe resting symptoms, and they can they can read and and comprehend some information in 15 or 20 minute uh, chunks of time. Um, and, and so there's there's a little bit of sometimes hit and miss in this, um, but again, they have to be able to tolerate the environment and, and the workload and the lights and the noises, of, of course. Um, so again, anything that's aggravating them more than mildly on a consistent basis is probably too much. Um, and we might wanna keep them out a, a day or two or three. Um, but then, you know, uh, what I find is is that early on, some of them need to just do a half day because they can tolerate a few hours, but then their their battery sort of runs out and they need a break at that point. And a question for both of you, where do you think future research efforts should be focused on? Not a lot of solid evidence yet. A lot of it's still sort of the art of medicine. And uh, so return to learn and return to sport are pretty rich areas for future research, you know. Um, and 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 from a, a clinical standpoint, when is somebody, you know, really recovered um, in terms of their balance, motor control, ocular motor function, um, things like that, um, to make our, someday our return to sort of play criteria more standardized and physiologically based. So we know that someone's, you know, is, is sort of recovered as we can get them before putting them back into contact. Um, I think I think there are other opportunities for treating concussions, not not just exercise or maybe certain medications that might be efficacious early on. So those are being investigated. Um, and other things that affect um, 
what uh, I like to call the, the sort of the dysautonomia, the abnormal abnormalities in autonomic function we see after concussion. Exercise is one way to approach that, but there may be others, psychological approaches to that, deep breathing, things like that. Sort of simple things that people could could uh, investigate that might help, um, you know, uh, clinical care in the future. So there's uh, biomarkers. Uh, there's lots of stuff uh, that should be investigated uh, coming down the line. Yeah, I mean, and I also think it would be nice to see you know, better access to healthcare. I mean, that was again one of the things that I thought was striking in our review was uh, what difference it made as it related to access to healthcare providers. And it makes you wonder: is that the reason we've seen differences in the past between kids and adults, um, or elite players and and the grassroots players? Uh, is that the reason we've seen differences between you know, sexes, right? Um, there are a lot of times more resources for our male elite athletes compared to our female athletes. Um, so to me, I think that's another area to look at. And then the other thing that we didn't really explore, and I've not seen a lot of research in this area, but just the biases that we have as we treat patients. You know, I, I, I think at our, um, at our AMSSM annual meeting, one of the presenters talked about the fact that, you know, he always, he treated his female um, jockeys different than his male jockeys when they had a concussion. And he was more conservative with the, with the, with the women, you know, with the females. And I'm like, so to me, if there's a, if there's a, that, that kind of a, a bias as to how we're tr treating our patients, uh, no wonder it shows up that, you know, it takes longer for women to, to recover. Right. So I, I think a lot of it, there just needs to be more work in, in a lot of areas that are, at this point, underrepresented. Fantastic. Now, John and Margot, can I ask you to leave the listeners with some key takeaways and also point them in the direction of any resources that they can um, do some extra reading or upskilling in the management of sports-related concussion? For me, the, the, the take-home messages from our reviewer is that it's taken longer for athletes to become symptom-free and return to school and sport. Um, there are a significant percentage that are not recovered by two and even four weeks. Um, the symptom burden, the severity still remains the biggest predictor or the most significant predictor of, of injury and recovery. Um, and there are some, you know, exciting physical exam findings that we're, we're, we're hoping will pan out as well. Um, when you look at uh, large studies that are stratified by age, it doesn't appear to be a, a significant difference in terms of clinical recovery for age or sex. And then um, continuing to play and the time it takes to be seen by a healthcare provider are important factors. And then finally, it's important to individualize treatment. Well, um, again, to add to Margo's, uh, you know, uh, People should not be cocooning, as we call it. Um, even if you have some symptoms, you can start uh, walking around, light exercise, uh, and even certain, in certain situations, you know, um, testing for your exercise tolerance and doing an exercise prescription. So we're doing that earlier on in people with symptoms. We're not waiting till they're completely asymptomatic. I think um, the question here is clinicians wanting to upskill themselves or resources. Um, there are several online programs that are pretty good. The CDC has information on concussion in the United States. Uh, Canada has some great uh, concussion websites, Ontario Brain Injury Association, uh, Parachute Canada. Um, uh, there are uh, guidelines. Uh, 
in the Ontario Brain Injury Association website for both adults and pediatric concussion um, evaluation and management. So again, for clinicians who are interested in, in learning how to manage this better, there's some good online uh, programs. And of course, there's there's uh, lots of good concussion uh, symposia now. Um, you know, there are concussion talks at the American Medical Society for Sports Medicine meeting, at the American College of Sports Medicine meeting, um, at various brain injury uh, association meetings, uh, International Brain Injury Association, North American Brain Injury Society. So again, there are lots of um, meetings that clinicians can go to to uh, learn uh, the latest uh, in, in concussion assessment and management and, um, uh, and, and also to learn what sort of uh, uh, components you need to have a, a comprehensive concussion clinic. It doesn't have to all, all be under one roof. It can be virtual. I don't have every uh, uh, skill set and, and uh, therapist type in Buffalo under my roof. I refer out to good providers in the community, but they get the treatment they need. Um, and Margo's right. It's all based upon the individual symptoms, physical examination, response to adjunctive tests, and then we des we decide how we're going to treat them, especially those who have persisting symptoms where the concussion is really gone, but they have something else that's causing the symptoms and needs specific treatment. Well, they can always read the systematic reviews that are going to be awesome, right? That's <laughs> been six years in the making. and um... We're not going to pat ourselves on the back, but they really are very good. <laughs> Hopefully people will appreciate that. Yeah, no, congratulations. It's a huge, huge amount of work. Um, I think we'll wrap it up. And yeah, thank you so much. Oh, no, thanks, Brooke. It was fantastic. Appreciate your uh, leading us through this. Yeah, Brooke, thank you. It's fun to have, uh, to interact with you and, and to hear Margot talk about her review. I always learn something from Margot, so. <laughs> Likewise. Always always thank you for listening to this BJSM podcast. Make sure you check out the other podcasts as a part of this Concussion in Sport mini-series and the associated video abstracts and infographics for our social media channels. Thank you.